right? Last week, our series on being called to be a blessing to the nations made its way into the New Testament. Uh, and so now for a second week, uh, we're in the New Testament. Uh, this week, the scripture is the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. And that can be found on page 917 in the blue Bibles that you have here. So here's chapter 8, 26 to 40 of Acts. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Have a seat. Let's pray before we come to this passage together. Father in heaven, um, we, we have been reminded um, many times already in this worship service um, of how it is, um, it is your action toward us, it is your taking the initiative, it is your reaching out to us that grounds everything that we do here. Um, and all of our worship that we offer to you is in some sense, it's, it's all giving back to you what you've given to us. It's all a response. Um, it is at, at, at every turn, you who, who call us into your presence, you who forgive, uh, you who give us all things that we need, uh, and we're responding to you. And um, the same thing is true when we bring our prayers before you. Um, it's an amazing thing to us that um, in your word you have um, commanded us to pray, that you have taught us to pray, um, that the thing that we're made most for, to enjoy fellowship with you, intimacy and, and nearness to you, um, the thing that you've purposed to do from the very beginning, to be a God who dwells in the midst of his people, um, it's an amazing thing that you command us to do it. Um, it's, it's gracious. 
um, it is it is inviting. And then and then the fact that you um, then attach promises to that, where your word tells us that we should cast our cares before you because you care about us. That you um, you hear our prayer. We saw that in 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 the psalm that we uh, read earlier, um, and in other psalms where David uh, is is sure. Um, that you hear our prayers. Um, so we thank you uh, that you hear our prayers. Father, we thank you that you um, hear the prayers that, that Samuel offered up earlier um, for those in this congregation that, that know uh, real suffering, um, that are facing um, daunting concerns um, pertaining to their health, um, pertaining to their work, their career, pertaining to, to schooling. Um, Father, as he said, you know uh, each of these concerns, you know them intimately, and, and it's your promise that you, you draw near to the brokenhearted, you draw near um, to the afflicted, that um, there's nothing that's happening uh, in our lives that is too small or too great um, to be put in front of you, um, and you want to hear it, um, and you know, you, you, you know what it is um, to be weak, uh, to be tired. Um, to be overwhelmed, uh, even to be fearful. Fearful, um, Jesus, we are we are so thankful that you, um, in in our nature, um, lived a life that shows us what humanity is supposed to look like, and 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 it was a life of dependence. It was a life um, where you were perfectly obedient to the Father, in dependence on the Holy Spirit at at every turn. Um, our our prayer. Um, is always that we would be made more and more like you, um, that we would live that, that kind of life. And, and the means that you've given us for that change to take place are, are the things that we're attending to now um, as we come before your word. Um, Father, it's a word that changes us. It's a word that pierces our hearts. It is a word that convicts us of sin, but that also assures us of your deep um, and abiding love for us. Um, even that sent your son into the world, um, not in order to condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved. Father, I pray um, that your spirit would now be with us, that it would be in the word uh, as we have read it and as we'll read it again, um, that it would be in the words um, that, I, that I speak, that it would be present in our hearts. Um, that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would um, be at work uh, changing us, um, even in this, next, uh, in this next half hour. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, all right, we're coming pretty near the end. Uh, of our series on being a blessing to the nations. It's going to carry us through uh, Labor Day weekend. So we've only got about three more weeks. Um, I want to review a little bit, not, not the whole series. I don't know if you, um, lately it seems like a, a lot of the series that we watch, especially like the binge-worthy ones where you can just, you know, watch an entire season because it all drops at the same time. Um, the plots of these things get so long and, and intricate, and they develop over 10 and 20 episodes. And so a lot of the episodes will begin with a little, like, previously on. Um, and, and you can almost always tell, you can, you can kind of tell um, what the coming episode is going to deal with by what they choose 
to remind you of. You know, sometimes you'll get something. I, so I'm a fan of this show, Only Murders in the Building. And the most recent episode, um, in the previously on, like they went all the way back uh, to, the, to, the first, uh, to the first season uh, to remind you of something. You're like, oh, how's that gonna, how's that gonna play in? So I'm not gonna review the whole uh, sermon series that we've done here, but I wanna remind you of a couple things um, that are gonna play uh, into this text as we look at it. Um, in particular, so if you remember the sermon that we had from Deuteronomy, um, you know, what we've been looking at is how this theme of being called to be a blessing to the nations is a theme that runs through all of Scripture. So it starts with the call of Abram, and it shows up there in those, in those early narratives. We looked at, at Abraham, we looked at Joseph, um, we looked at the law, we've looked at prophets, now we're into the New Testament. When we looked at the law, what was notable, what I want you to remember, we, we looked at a passage in Deuteronomy, and what was notable was that even though we were there in the law, right, we're there where God is telling us, here's how you're supposed to live, here's, here's what good life looks like. But even there, fully two-thirds of the text, and as I remember it, probably more than two-thirds of, of Bradley's sermon that he preached out of it, was spent not on, here's what you need to do, but here's what God has done. Here's how God has rescued you. You remember the, the main uh, text, the main um, takeaway from that was, you need to love the sojourner. You need to love the stranger in your midst. Why? Because you were sojourners. You were strangers. You, you were the ones wandering. Um, and God cared for you. God rescued you. He, he pulled you out of that. Um, this is really important. As we, as we look at this theme of being a blessing to the nations, it's important that we constantly remind ourselves um, that the only way that we're going to be a blessing is if we know how we have been blessed. Um, if we don't start there, like if we just start with, you know, we're going to go out and do lots of good in the world and it's going to be great, you know, and people are going to love us uh, and we're going to be so popular. Um, first of all, we're just going to be disappointed. Um, but more likely, we're going to burn out real fast. Um, we're going to disappoint ourselves. We're going to fail a lot. Um, we have to start uh, with the gospel that says, here is how we have been loved. Here is how we have um, been, been cared for. Um, in, in this passage, um, in, in Acts chapter 8, what I want us to see is how that gospel and the, just the radical um, prodigality, you know, we talk about the prodigal son, um, but I've heard it said it, it can be better to talk about the prodigal father um, because of how lavishly and how scandalously he, he, he gives. Because of the sheer lavishness um, and, and the radical depth of God's generosity uh, to us. This call to be a blessing to the nations is just so extensive. We're going to see um, all of the different divisions um, that, it, that it cuts down, all of the different barriers that it breaks through. It, literally anyone, literally anyone in the world um, is someone who can be uh, an object of God's mercy, is someone that we can pray for, is someone that we can have hope for. Um, we're going to see it cutting across lines of ethnicity and culture, and then more importantly, we're going to see it cutting across everything in a person's past, everything about who they are, 
everything about what has been done to them, everything that they have done. Um, none of these things stand uh, as, as barriers uh, to, this, to this call, to this uh, gift that God give, gives into the world um, as he looks to bless all nations. Um, we're in Acts chapter 8. Now, it was not easy to choose a text out of Acts. Like if you ask, like, where, where in Acts should you look to see the call to be a blessing to the nations? Well, the book of Acts is all about um, the disciples, the apostles, responding to what we looked at last week, the Great Commission, when Jesus sends them out, says, I want you to go make disciples, um, baptize them um, in the name of the triune God, teach them everything that I've taught you. Um, the book of Acts is them responding to that and them, and them beginning to, to carry out uh, that mission uh, that, that Jesus sends them on. Um, when we preached through the book of Acts, um, I think it was two or three years ago now, uh, it, was, it was often noted that um, although the, the name of the book is the Acts of the Apostles, it, it might be better to think of this as the continuing acts of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? Because, because it's just it's, it's Jesus continuing his work and the Spirit is present everywhere. I don't know if you noticed how many times the Spirit was mentioned in this, in this text, um, right? Uh, the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot, uh, directs him to him. The Spirit pulls Philip away uh, at, at the end. Um, I think the fact that they find water. You know, there was this little phrase um, in verse 26, right at the beginning, just describing where they are. This is a desert place. Why is that important? Like, why do you need to know that it's a desert place? Well, because if you're in the desert, you're not just going to stumble across water, right? And so later at the end of the book, um, I think this is supposed to be another indication, like the spirit is really active, um, that it, it, in the middle of a dry desert place, they just happen to stumble across water um, so that they can baptize uh, this, this eunuch. So the spirit is, is really present um, here in this passage. Um, as I say, it wasn't easy to choose uh, a, a text um, from, um, from the book of, of Acts. We could have talked about Pentecost, you know, chapter 2. Uh, Peter preaches his very first sermon. Um, and if you remember, what happens is there's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It lists like 12 different places that they're all from. And all of them, even though Peter is speaking, I guess, Aramaic, but he's speaking one language. Um, all of them hear what he says in their own language. Um, and this crowd of people from everywhere um, are converted, right? Cut to the heart. They say, what must we, we, we do? Um, he says, repent and, and be baptized. So we could have looked at that. We could have looked at Acts chapter 10. Uh, Peter again. Um, it's kind of funny, despite the fact that Peter plays this big role um, in, in proclaiming the gospel to the nations, he struggles a lot with the idea that the good news is moving from Israel out uh, to the nations. He struggles with this several times. Um, but in Acts 10, um, Peter is the one who, who gets this, this vision, you remember. God shows him all these animals. Um, they're all animals that Jews are forbidden uh, to eat. Um, 
and he hears a voice saying, go ahead and, 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 and eat, um, because don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And, and he immediately makes the connection. The next interaction that he has is with a Roman named Cornelius, and he immediately makes the connection. Oh, this isn't just about food. Um, I'm not to call any person unclean whom God has declared, has declared clean. And it overcomes that, that barrier uh, for him. Um, we could have looked at, uh, at Acts chapter 15. Um, Acts 15 is um, a really central chapter uh, to the book for understanding how the gospel, the call to be a blessing to the nations, um, is now going out, going out from Israel um, as the apostles wrestle um, with uh, who, who can become a Christian, who can be saved, who can, who can follow after Jesus. Um, it's really important to notice, so if you want to look at Acts 15, that's on page 923. Um, what's happened um, is that in various places, Paul and Barnabas and other apostles um, have been preaching the gospel. Gentiles um, have been converted. Um, and it's really important to notice that there's no dispute, there's no argument at all about whether or not that's a good thing. The, the, the question is not, should Gentiles follow Jesus? Should Gentiles hear the good news? Um, they're all on the same page about that. They're all reacting with joy. They all welcome, uh, they all welcome these news. The dispute that arises, right in verse 1, it says, Some men uh, came down from Judea and say, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. So the question isn't, can Gentiles... Um, follow Jesus. The question is, can Gentiles follow Jesus as Gentiles, or do they have to become Jews? Do they have to actually convert to Judaism? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to observe the whole law of Moses? Um, that's the question. In other words, the dispute is all about culture. The dispute is all about the extent to which someone has to assimilate from their culture into another one uh, in, order, in order to follow Jesus. What they end up concluding is that the answer is that, in fact, the Gentiles can enter in as Gentiles, that they don't have to assimilate. Um, they look at the words um, of Amos, um, Amos chapter 9, 11, and 12 are quoted in chapter 15, uh, verses 16 and 17. And specifically, they see that Amos says, all the Gentiles who are called by my name. And then they say, therefore, um, this is James speaking. James says, my judgment is we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. In other words, they don't have to become Jews. Um, they don't have to leave their culture and join another one. Um, the only thing that has to change is what they worship. The things that he tells them that they have to do, that's all about leaving behind idol worship. 
um, in order to worship uh, the one true God. So the only common bond that all Christians have to share uh, is the worship of the one true God, uh, is, is the worship of Jesus. Um, this is important for at least two reasons. Okay, so on the one hand, one of the most common objections that you hear uh, to Christianity is that Christianity is a religion. Uh, sometimes you hear it said, look, it's a Western religion, and we're seeking to impose Western culture on the rest of the world. Or, at the very least, you're seeking to um, impose your culture on other cultures, right? In other words, Christianity is described as being an act of cultural imperialism. Um, what we see from the very beginning um, is that that's not true. Uh, from the very beginning, um, we see that it's never been the case um, that men and women had to leave their culture behind uh, and assimilate uh, into a different culture uh, in order to become a Christian. Um, the notion that Christianity is a Western religion, that's, I mean, historically that's false um, because it, it didn't begin in the West. Um, and today, you look at where Christianity is growing um, by leaps and bounds, even as it's somewhat declining uh, in the West, um, it's growing really fast in the global East um, and in the South. And you know, one really important reason for that is precisely because Christianity doesn't ask people to leave their culture behind. Um, it only asks them uh, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Um, the other reason that that's important you know, for us as a church um, is for us always to be asking that question of ourselves. You know, to what extent are, are we a church um, that communicates uh, explicitly or implicitly that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a member of this church, you have to join a particular culture. You have to assimilate uh, into a particular way of doing things. Um, what we see here in the early church is this amazing thing um, where the only thing holding these people together um, is their common love uh, and their common worship of Jesus. And they don't have to assimilate from one culture uh, into another. Um, that is what makes it possible uh, for Philip to go after this eunuch in chapter 8. Okay, so now let me look at, at specifically at, at this text, the one that we, that we chose uh, to focus on. Um, and, and as I say, you know, here we're going to see not only um, that this call overcomes the boundaries of culture and ethnicity, but also that there's nothing in this eunuch's past, there's nothing in his life, nothing that he has, has done or has been done to him that can stand in the way um, of him coming to Jesus. Philip is one of the 12 disciples. We know uh, from, from chapter 8, if you look at the beginning of chapter 8, we know that um, as Saul, who's later going to become Paul, um, begins his great persecution of the church, Philip is the, one of the ones that gets scattered. He goes to Samaria first, and now he's kind of on his way back south. Um, uh, when we get to what we read, um, where an angel of the Lord says to Philip, uh, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem uh, to Gaza. 
Um, this Ethiopian that he encounters, um, who is this guy? So we're told that he is uh, a eunuch, um, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. Um, now here's, here's what's interesting. Um, what that means is, on the one hand, he's, he's a eunuch, okay? He's, he's been castrated. Um, he's also someone with extremely high status. Um, it turns out those two things go together. Um, it was very common um, in, 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 in ancient culture um, that if you were someone that served in the court of the queen, um, if you had access to her, um, then for her security, the only way you could um, be in her presence was if you were castrated for that, for that position. Um, so this is, this is a guy who is someone who is um, of high status. By the way, we can also tell that he's of pretty high status because he's reading, right? Um, that was not that common of a thing. He actually has a scroll with him, owning books, having a library. Um, we've been gradually culling our library at home uh, in, in, in our house because today we have way too many books, most of us, right? Especially those of us that are resistant to Kindles. Um, but in those days, owning a book uh, meant you were somebody, uh, meant that you were high status. So this is somebody who is um, a man of very high status, um, but who has sacrificed a lot um, for that status. Um, and if that seems shocking, um, to you, um, it probably shouldn't be that shocking. It shouldn't be that shocking um, that there's a very, very high cost uh, to being someone of, of high status um, because of where we live. We live in Boston. Um, we live in a place where people chase high status of all different kinds. Um, and what's interesting is that it, it seems like the culture here is such that whether you achieve the high status or not, right, whether you end up in a position of power, uh, with wealth, with a lot of education or not, um, the culture of striving, the culture of sacrificing to make it, that filters down. That affects all of us. Um, so whether we're on the top or not, um, all of us know what it means to sacrifice uh, and to give up a lot um, for, for, that high, for that high status. Sacrificing relationships, sometimes health, sometimes mental health. Um, but here's another thing that we know about this eunuch. Okay, not only is he high status, not only has he sacrificed a lot for that high status, um, it says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning. That probably means that he was what would have been called a God-fearer. Okay, so he's a Gentile who worships uh, the Lord, who worships the God of Israel. And he's gone to Jerusalem in order to worship, and now he's returning. What do you think would have happened in Jerusalem when he got there? Probably what would have happened is that if he had tried to enter the temple, he would have been turned away. And he would have been turned away because someone who's been sexually mutilated wouldn't have been allowed into the temple. It's in Deuteronomy 23 uh, that such a person would be excluded uh, from the temple. So here's someone who has sacrificed a lot for his position, 
He's gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he's been sent back. He's been turned away uh, from the temple. What do you think is going through his mind as he makes this journey back? Um, what do you think he's thinking about as he's, as he's reading this scroll? There's a really good chance. So the text that he reads is from Isaiah chapter 53, right? Now, think about what a scroll is. Like, think, like, physically what it's like, okay? It's not a, you know, it's not a codex where you're looking at one page at a time. You have to unroll it, and you have to look at a lot of the page, you know, at, 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 at one time. Um, if he's looking at Isaiah 53, there's a good chance that his eye has also landed on Isaiah chapter 56. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 56. This is verses 3 to 5. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What do you think is going through this guy's mind if he reads that, having just been turned away um, at the temple? He must be thinking, like, what in the world is going on? What does that even mean? What does it mean that you're going to give me a name? better than sons and daughters. How do I even have a name if I can't have sons and daughters? Um, you know, it made a little more sense when God said to Abraham, you're not going to make a name for yourself. I'm going to make a name for you, and I'm going to bless you with this, this, this huge family, right? I mean, that's one way of understanding, like, there's the name. The name is going to go on. It's going to turn into a whole nation. How is it that God can promise to someone who has sacrificed so much uh, to someone who has literally had a part of himself cut off for his status uh, and who has now been turned away from the temple, how can he promise, I'm going to give you a name, I'm going to give you a place? You're not a dry tree. This is why I think it's significant that the text that he's actually reading when Philip comes to him is from Isaiah 53. I, I think he must have seen Isaiah 56. I think he must be thinking about that. I must, he, he must be puzzling over um, how on earth does this make sense? Am I in? Am I not? Um, and it would have made a lot of sense. If you were making this story up, um, it would make a lot of sense for Philip to run up to that chariot and say, oh, I see you're reading. What are you reading there? And for him to read Isaiah 56. Say, I'm a eunuch. Here's what it says. Help me make sense of this. Um, but this isn't a made-up story, right? Luke is, Luke is really clear at the beginning of his gospel. He says, what I'm giving you is an orderly account of what happened. And what happened is that at the end of the day, the text that was really drawing this guy's attention was Isaiah 53. Um, what we read in the text was verses 7 and 8. Let me, let me read the verses in Isaiah 53 that come before that. Isaiah 53 at verse 4 says, Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verses 7 and 8 that we, that we read before. And, and what the eunuch wants to know, isn't it, isn't it significant, isn't it striking? What he wants to know is, who is this? Who, who is this talking about? Who is this of whom it says that he was pierced for our transgressions, that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all? He wants to know, who is it? I'm a person, here I am, because of what I have done, because of what has been done to me. And it's hard to disentangle those in this case, right? Just like it's hard to disentangle, you know, when we sacrifice for status. Whose fault is that? Is that what we're doing? Is that the way that the culture, the system is oppressing us? It's, it's really hard to disentangle those things. Um, this guy isn't exactly that, that situation. And he can say of himself, I feel like I have been cut off. But now I'm reading this text and I see there's someone who's voluntarily cut off, someone who chooses to be put into the position that I'm in so that I can be brought in. Um, I know my own iniquity. It says here, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I know grief. I know sorrow. I have felt stricken and smitten and afflicted, but here's someone who has chosen to put himself in that place. Who is this? Um, what changes this man's life, what cuts through all the barriers, uh, is to be given the answer to that question. No, this is not the prophet speaking about himself. No, this is not someone who's yet to come and we're still hoping and we're still looking. We know his name. His name is Jesus. And we saw him. We met him. We actually saw what this meant. We watched as he gave himself over. We watched as he was hung on that cross and was forgiving his enemies while they killed him. And we saw him alive again. We've seen him raised up. And now he has sent us out into the world to make disciples, to tell everybody uh, about what we saw. Um, that is what changes this man's life. Um, that's what results in the end with him going on his way rejoicing. No longer feeling an outsider, no longer a slave to chasing status, no longer bearing the weight of his own sin. Um, it results in obedience, right? It results in obedience. He may not even know that, that Jesus said, unless Philip, Philip probably told him, Philip probably told him, you know, one of the things that Jesus said is that we should baptize. And the eunuch is the one that says, look, here's some water. Let's do it. Um, let's obey. Let's do, let's do what he said. Um, as we get towards the end of this series, um, I want to encourage us with a couple of things. Last week I said, it's really significant that Jesus says, as he sends the disciples out, 
uh, I'm not leaving you alone. Um, I'm with you. Um, as we read these stories in Acts, as we look at this story, um, we see what he meant. We see how present the Spirit is at every, at every moment. We see that as people are converted, as people um, come to Jesus, as they become disciples and begin to obey what he taught, um, that is not our work. That's something that the Spirit is doing. Um, the other thing that I want us to be encouraged by, though, is the role of the Word in all of this. Um, here is someone all he has is this scroll he has these words uh, to read um, and it plants a question um, in, in his mind um, as we get towards the end of, of this series and we continue to pray um, about how our church will proclaim the good news um, here in this place in Newton and, and, and Wellesley and the surrounding towns um, I want us to remember the importance of the word. I want us to, to keep coming back to something that Bradley has challenged us to do, um, is that as we have friends and neighbors, um, to ask them simply, would you read the Bible with me? Would you read the Gospel of John with me? Would you read the book of Acts with me? Would you read um, Scripture with me? And just let them ask questions. Um, we can see here, um, in this text, what God does with that, how he does more than we can ask or imagine. Um, and I know it's hard to ask a lot. It's hard to imagine a lot. Um, but we do need to remember that the culture that the gospel went out into in the book of Acts um, was not any more welcoming than, than ours is. Uh, and yet, Jesus was at work um, through his spirit in the, Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, before we come to this table then, can we pray to that end? Let's pray together.